Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to human suffering, death, factual inaccuracies, several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. Santa Fe, are you there? Cause the Pinkertons are shooting. I'm Andy. Remember, children are our future, and also our cheapest form of labor. I'm Adam. Hey boss, why does this money have your face on it? I'm Kelly. Alright, and if you'll just sign here agreeing that you won't think about thinking about joining a union, we'll show you where to get started. I'm Sean, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about union strikes. Uh Uh-oh, only good things can happen here. Uh Uh-huh. A bunch of scabs. Yeah. So, union is from Latin, unionum, 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 meaning oneness or unity. Hmm. Unity. <laughs> Strike is actually pretty interesting. It seems to be an English word from the 14th century, and it basically means to hit. In the mid-1700s, when sailors were fed up with conditions on the boats, they would take down all the sails on the ship and refuse to put them up until situations improved. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that tracks. Like that. Taking down all the sails is called striking. Huh. Striking the sails. Yep. So how does this work into baseball? Uh, well, it means to hit. A strike is when you don't hit. That's an excellent question. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> My question. Wait, I want to know how many times Adam did this. Took they down the sails and hid them somewhere on the ship? <laughs> yes. Like all the time. <laughs> and they said, we got a motor. We don't care. <laughs> In fact, those sails were giving us drag. <laughs> you were slowing us down. Where did you get this mast? <laughs> we keep telling you not to put those up. <laughs> so there's no phobias of unions or strikes and there isn't really a science it's just a bunch of people saying hey we won't work until you give us enough money to eat so we're going to move right on to our acid pop quiz so our quiz is very short but we've got a number of stories to make up for it we have a fill in the blank on average how much more do union workers get paid than non-union workers in percentage yep uh 200 percent. really uh i was gonna say like 20 percent no, uh, no, I only had two in there. Kelly, I I think Kelly's on there, like two hundred fifty percent. I think Sean said it's only two percent. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam is the closest without going over. It is twenty two percent. Oh, unions. Yeah, <laughs> good job. Try harder. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm paying dues, you better do for me. <laughs> that's their tagline. No, that's my tagline. They're working on it. So what percentage of union workers have health insurance versus non-union workers? Versus? Yeah. So all the union workers, how many, what percentage of them have health insurance? And all the non-union workers, what percentage of them have health insurance? 80% versus 22%. My face's been broken. So, but also I've have had health insurance in most of my jobs and I've never been in a union. Yeah. So I'm going to say 70% for unions and 
Dental plan. 50% for non-unions? I was going to say 50-20. A 50-20 split. Well, Kelly was remarkably close. It's 75% in unions and 50% in non-union. Okay. So percentage-wise, how much are union dues? Like percentage of your paycheck? Yeah, of your paycheck. Or your salary, same difference. Uh, 10%. 15%. 25%. (laughs) 10 sounds right. It's like you're tithing. It's about 1.2%. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So it costs you 1.2% of your check, and for that, you get 22% more than if you weren't in a union. Sean's really selling me on this union stuff. It's a good thing. (laughs) Is it really? Hey. I don't know. I've had jobs where they told me that unions were bad. <laughs> yeah, I've always been told they're bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> By the people who have all the money. Also, we don't were... talk about my salary. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get to it, but I was a scab once. So. What? Oh, yeah. Everyone, I'm afraid we have to kill Andy. <laughs> so we're on to our terms. What's a black leg? Black leg? Mm-hmm. That's what they give you if you're a scab. Yeah. <laughs> nice pair of shins you got there. <laughs> Be a shame if you only had one good one. Ah, uh, Blackleg, that's the guy who kicks the unioners. And his leg is so bruised that it's black. He's got one giant leg. <laughs> oh, no, it's all bruises. That's Johnny Blackleg. <laughs> ah, I'm going to kick the union out of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a... Uh... That's a union buster. So a blackleg is basically a person who takes over a job when a worker goes on strike. Oh, so it's a scab. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they're frequently targets of unions since withholding labor doesn't work so well with them around. And these people are also called scabs, knobsticks, or strike breakers. <laughs> like knobstick. Yeah. They don't get pleasant or, names. Or, you know, dickheads. <laughs> hey, now. I was young and impressionable. Asshole. I mean, <laughs> not you, it. <laughs> Kelly, jeez. Sleeping. I was just kind of pretty strike <laughs> wow <laughs> all right if my two co-hosts and shit had years ago i mean how do you really feel <laughs> oh andy you know i love you <laughs> so what's script script mm-hmm. that's the money that strike breakers make ah God, that sounds like the sort of thing that a fantasy role-playing game would call, like, the money, money you'd get from thieving? <laughs> a bit of script. Um, I don't know. It's another name for union dues. Hmm. Well, it, it must sound like money. <laughs> None of you got it, but you all got some sort of money thing, and it is a money thing. Okay. But uh, script is complete and utter bullshit. It makes me very mad. So, in some mining towns... The mining company owns everything. Since they own the houses and all the stores, they figure, why not own the money too? Mining bucks. Yeah. The reference again. (laughs) Instead of paying their workers, they give them coupons or company money that can be exchanged for food and tools (laughs) and one of the many convenient company stores. So workers get no actual money, meaning that they can't save to move or retire and can easily be screwed over as the exchange rate on company coupons ain't great. This stand-in currency is called script. Huh. You move 16 tons and what do you get? <laughs> a script. <laughs> Just one. And that concludes our acid pop quiz. 
So we're on to our stories. So this episode is going to be a bit biased towards the United States, but here's the thing. In the U.S., money is the most important thing ever. Ever. It's it's, it's true in, in cases of everything, including education, folks. Yeah. So while bad stuff does happen in regards to labor in other countries, there's nowhere else where an employer can steal from and starve their employees so that they can have an even bigger third house. And if those workers get fed up and say, hey, we're not going to work until things get a little better, the employer will kill their employees. Right to work, motherfucker. <laughs> With the help of the government. So that does happen in other places, but in the U.S. it happens over and over again and has for literally hundreds of years. We have to defend the American dream. (laughs) Yes, a white picket fence. Those workers should have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps better. God, that... So first thing I wanted to talk about was in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there were detective agencies. Mm -hmm. So being a detective sounds cool and always has. Uh, Around this time, there were large multi-state organizations employing hundreds of detectives, groups like the Pinkertons and the Baldwin Felts. Now, they were good people doing good work. (laughs) They were called detectives, but that's the wrong word. (laughs) Employee punchers. Well, the right word is mercenary. We already have a word. So they were called in when shit hit the fan to clear things up, usually as messily as possible. Sometimes they hunted down outlaws, but mostly they were private armies paid to rough up people. And most of their business came from oppressing strikes. They would go undercover and turn in union leaders, evict families from their homes, and frequently just shoot the hell out of people because they looked like trouble. As far as I can tell, not once did they make a strike situation better, but they were still called in over and over again for the better part of 50 years. Did they make the situation better for the owners? Not usually, no. (laughs) No, there was a lot of murder. Made it better for the Pinkertons. Yeah, because the thing is, like, if you... If you kill someone that's making the company mad, that might be good for the company. But then with the thousands of people that like that guy come and burn down your factory, that's less good for your company. What? (laughs) Nobody told me this would happen. (laughs) All right. So on to our stories proper. I didn't know how to organize these, so they're just in chronological order. So in the U.S., after the Civil War, the country was trying to do a lot of things at once. For various reasons, it needed to move stuff from place to place, so the government pushed hard for railroads. In about five years, 33,000 miles, or 53,000 kilometers, of railroad were put down. That cost a lot and covered a lot of ground, so how the government decided to pay for all that was through bonds and loans. Not a bad plan if you can back it up. There were some economic speed bumps that came to a head in 1873 when a major government bank was asked to pay out some of the bonds, but instead they shrugged and went bankrupt. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Can we give you this script? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, was that a guarantor's bond or a... Oh, sorry. (laughs) So this final straw sent the U.S. into one of the worst recessions ever. For context, the Great Depression lasted three years and unemployment hit 24.9%. What a Great Depression. (laughs) Love it. In 1873, it lasted five years and unemployment hit 33.6%. I cannot imagine a quarter or a third of the country being unemployed. Yeah. 
That's that's crazy. Now, railroad barons, who will definitely get their own episode someday, weren't bringing in boatloads of money anymore. They were only bringing in truckloads. <laughs> Not enough. Yeah. All my boats are going unemployed. <laughs> to keep their gold taps flowing, they responded by cutting staff and wages. This came to a head in 1877 when railroad workers in Martinsburg, West Virginia, went on strike after their wages were cut for the third time in a year. They said not only would they not work, but they would bar any trains from moving until the wage cut was revoked. Uh Uh-oh. Just the most recent one. That was it. They were just asking for the last wage cut to be taken back. In response, the governor of Virginia sent the National Guard to shoot the strikers. What? I don't think he's going to get reelected. <laughs> well, give you a goddamn like my my estimation was going to be like they were standing on the railroad tracks and the governor said, "Run them over." Yeah. Now, yeah. So the the railroads were super important. Don't get me wrong, but when a bunch of people stand around and say they won't stop standing around until you agree to pay them as much as you were a month ago, the proper response is not to shoot those people. That's nope. generally not on the list of things that deserve the death penalty. Yes, yeah. no. If that if that plan had a letter, it should be like double Z, not plan A. <laughs> But anyway, the soldiers are like, this is a bunch of bullshit. We're not going to shoot people who are just standing around. Nice. So the governor does the next sensible thing and calls for more troops. Oh, God. <laughs> Ones that don't mind killing innocent, starving people. And, the, na- and the National troops. Guard. <laughs> yeah. Including the uh, Pinkerton detectives. So these strikes start happening all over the place. And in almost every one, soldiers and detectives were brought in to put a stop to the strikes. In more than one city, things got ugly and troops fired on the strikers. But here's the thing about the 1%. They're outnumbered 99 to 1. (laughs) Yes. I told my mother the other day, eat the rich. (laughs) So the strikers went ballistic. They stormed armories and took them over, and then they just started lighting shit on fire. (laughs) You know, I could see it. Yeah. (laughs) Factories, railroad cars, federal troops, you know, whatever. I can't just see it. I'm into it. (laughs) Stop lighting things on fire. (laughs) Adam, hold still. Ah, not me first. You're the 1%. In the end, the railroad companies capitulated a little. They agreed to stop trying to work people to death and give them sick days, and the workers stopped lighting things on fire. (laughs) Fair compromise. In total, roughly 100,000 workers went on strike, and about 100 were killed by soldiers, none of which faced any charges for just straight-up firing into crowds of people. Good. The strikers burned 39 buildings, 104 train engines, about 50 passenger cars, and 1,250 freight cars, costing an estimated 5 to $10 million in damages. Would have been cheaper just to take back that pay cut. Uh-huh. In the aftermath, workers were shown the power of uniting and started organizing unions though in secret so that they wouldn't get shot. And the government started building armories around the country in case any workers got any funny ideas about wanting enough money to live and eat. That's not a joke. They literally opened up new weapons depots and hired more troops so they could more effectively shoot people next time. They interviewed the troops ahead of time. How do you feel about shooting starving workers? (laughs) My sadness is immeasurable. (laughs) So in 1899, if you wanted a newspaper in New York, this is how it got to you. 
A street urchin would buy a bundle of papers for 50 cents a bundle, then run around town selling them. The money the kids got for selling the papers was their only income, and the lavish wages they received ensured they could just about afford to sleep in an alley and eat expired food. Ugh. Then, mm. the papers decided to hike the prices from 50 cents a bundle to 60 cents, and the paper boys went on strike. The strike, led by the charismatic one-eyed paper boy named Kid Blink. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Awesome name. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Well, that needs a that needs a movie. Yeah, well, you can also teleport. Yeah, <laughs> there is a movie. Papers being sold were reduced by two thirds after two weeks. Awesome. So, the uh, papers capitulated. They said they wouldn't lower the cost of the bundles, but they would buy back any papers the boys didn't sell at cost, which was about a penny a paper. So this was the basis for the musical Newsies. So at least we got a fun cinema out of it. Does it have a kid blink in it? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Hmm. No, the the leader of the strike in that is Christian Bale. I don't remember yeah. a one-eyed paper boy in that movie. <laughs> I mean, there's like a there's like a tiny Tim paper boy. <laughs> <laughs> So in 1903, some textile workers in Philadelphia were fed up with their working conditions. They decided to strike, and to make a show of it, they would march from Philadelphia to New York. That's about 100 miles, or 160 kilometers, in July. They started off strong with hundreds of workers marching out of town to bands and cheers, but after a few days and several dozen miles, the hungry and mostly ignored strikers started to head off back home. On July 23rd, the 60 or so strikers left arrived at New York and put themselves in cages as a sort of real-life metaphor for their working conditions. On July 29th, they marched to President Roosevelt's summer home, but they were shooed away by his secretary. Get on out of here. Get out. He's hunting bears. Yeah. In the end, nothing really changed and the workers got back to it. Uh, so what was this strike about? Well, they wanted work weeks no longer than 55 hours. And if they were children, which most of the workers and marchers were, they didn't want to have to work at night. Sadness. <laughs> Unreasonable. <laughs> So this strike failed, uh, though child labor was on the minds of the people. In 1916, Woodrow Wilson passed a law that said you couldn't sell goods in other states if children under the age of 14 made it, but it was undone by the Supreme Court two years later as it violated the Commerce Clause, a.k.a. money is more important than children's <laughs> lives. <laughs> also, the Supreme Court at that time was a big bunch of dickholes. <laughs> like, we could do a whole episode on Supreme Courts, and yeah. Woodrow Wilson's Supreme Court sucked. Yeah. So in 1918, Congress tried to pass a tax on goods made by children, but this too was struck down by the Supreme Court. Taxing children. Yeah. In 1924, Congress tried to pass an amendment that outlawed child labor, but only five states got on board. Then in 1933, 30 years after this strike, Franklin D. Roosevelt looked at everyone in no uncertain way and another 25 states got on board. <laughs> it took until 1938 to finally get it passed. Unless you're a farm laborer. <laughs> yep, yep. There were still exceptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, see our child care episode, one of the most dangerous places a child can work. <laughs> Get up on the thresher, boy. <laughs> and uh, our next story here is the one strike that I felt like including from somewhere outside the U.S. So April 1912 in Siberia, Russia. Workers at a gold mine were fed up with, well, working at a mine in the middle of a Russian desert. Well... 
Miners worked 16-hour days and faced huge fines if their supervisors thought they were doing a poor job. Fines? Yep. So if, if they, you were going too slowly, they'd be like, hey, you're not getting paid today. Give me $5. Yeah. Uh, eat me? <laughs> Part of their pay was in coupons that could be exchanged at the company store for food, but the food available was of the lowest of low quality, sometimes inedible. Which is one of the qualifiers for food. Yeah. <laughs> More Lambeth bread. <laughs> the conditions in the mine were so poorly maintained that there were 700 cases of serious injury for every 1,000 workers. Hmm. It's about 70% chance. That's bad. <laughs> one day, the workers went to the company store after a hard day, and the meat section of the store consisted of a selection of horse penises. <laughs> <laughs> Got some sausage for you, boys. I have a coupon. <laughs> and one dick for you, sir. <laughs> Good news, coupon. buy one, get one free. <laughs> that was the final straw. They walked out and demanded a 30% wage increase, an eight-hour day, no more fines, and food they could actually eat. No more horse penises. Yeah. And what year did you say this was? Uh, this was 1912. How, how terrifying to see a riot where people are bludgeoning each other with frozen horse penises. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing it like a bolo. <laughs> quite stolen yet. But <laughs> you push this button to extend it. Now <laughs> <laughs> it's like a nightstick. My yeah. chain penis. <laughs> Some guy wielding it like Ivy from Soul Calibur. <laughs> Swinging around like nunchucks. <laughs> So a strike committee was formed to talk out the terms, but when they showed up, they were arrested. I'm <laughs> setting a bad precedent. Yeah. 2,500 miners marched on the jail saying, hey, you can't arrest them for not working. And the Soviet army responded by opening fire into the crowd. Well, yeah. <laughs> this killed 250 and wounded 270. This kills the miner. <laughs> The army said, there, problem solved. But when news got out, workers just up and left wherever they were. The movement spread and in total included around 300,000 workers. Nice. Things started to improve a bit all over Russia, but as for the miners, they decided to go somewhere else <laughs> rather than eat horse penises and get shot. <laughs> By August of that year, the mine was completely abandoned. That gold just sitting there. Yeah. Gotta take care of your people. Yeah. I mean, clearly you don't gotta take care of your people. <laughs> <laughs> no, just shoot them and then I have all that gold. Try that again, but in Russian, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so now you just shoot them and now you have all the gold. And now turn up the prospector Beautiful. again. <laughs> and now you just shoot them and you have the gold. <laughs> Perfect. Print. <laughs> <laughs> just had to adjust the levels. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Why is the Southern plantation owner all the way up? Turn that down. <laughs> so in 1913, <laughs> we're not done yet. <laughs> okay. So in 1913 in Ludlow, Colorado, there was a coal mine. It was run by such stand-up people as the Rockefeller family. Nothing but good things about those folks. Mm -hmm. Wonderful the, philanthropists. <laughs> you can go and skate there. <laughs> so a union, the uh, the United Mine Workers of America, were uh, 
appealing to the mining company to correct the following minor issues. One, 10% wage increases. Two, verification of the amount of coal mined. Since they were paid by the ton, they were suspicious that they were being undersold. Probably Mm. they were. Three, that the mine actually follow mining laws about safety, including not making them work longer than eight hours a day. So that was it. Those were their three bullet points. Finished a day of mining and they're like, oh, two pounds. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Rough day. This, this coal was hollow. <laughs> Talks went south in August when union leader Gerard Lippiart was murdered by mine guards. Now, we Mysteriously? don't. No, we don't really know what happened. But what we do know is that one guard was shot in the leg and Gerald was shot four times in the chest. So for some reason, the union felt like they needed to take action, so they went on strike. Now, this was a bold move. The houses the miners lived in were built and owned by the mines, so all the workers were evicted. Miners were paid in mining credit, basically, so they they got the scrip. So the miners had no actual money and were banned from using the company stores. Ah. The miners were prepared, though, and they had erected fields of tents nearby for the miners to sleep in. During the day, they would form picket lines and harass replacement miners. In response, the mining company hired the Baldwin Felt detectives to drive around the tent towns in armored cars with machine guns mounted on them. Okay, (laughs) just for show, hopefully. Yeah, so if there was so much as a noise, the detectives would shout out, Violent perpetrator! and open fire on the tents. Why? <laughs> Go ahead. I'll wait. Why? It's, like, if I hear a noise, I'm not allowed to shoot it. Oh, sure you are. You're white. <laughs> oh, but if you were, wouldn't you just mow down innocence? <laughs> Get at it. You're just standing your ground, Kelly. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah, there's a point. Right <laughs> oh, God. So, I had a bazooka. I was frightened for my life. Yeah. I had to shoot him. <laughs> Behind my oh, armored God. car and big gun. <laughs> so the miners basically dug trenches inside their tents so that they could duck into them when they got shot at. Oh, Jesus. And then they start building pitfall traps for trucks. Yeah. <laughs> so even so, a few people, including a small boy, were shot. The That's miners what he gets for playing outside. <laughs> Making noise. <laughs> Little boy. So the miners finally fought back and killed one of the guards. Just one. Yep. The governor called in the National Guard, who proceeded to march through the fields, shooting tents and lighting them on fire. One tent had four women and 11 children in it when it was shot at. They all jumped into their trench, but their tent was lit on fire. Ah. Oh, God. Two of the women and all of the children died. Oh, good. Thank you. (laughs) Colorado? Yep, yep. You're on. You're on notice, Colorado. By May of 1914, 45 strikers and their family members were dead, and another 100 or so were injured. Oh, and four guards. So you see, they they were provoked. Mm -hmm. Rise up! Eat the rich! (laughs) The Union finally said, fuck this shit, got their guns, and stormed the mines. Damn straight! (laughs) (laughs) This event was called the Ten Day War. 1,000 or so miners stormed the mines and fought the mine, and the National Guards. About 50 people died in this war. Woodrow Wilson finally sent in federal troops who basically put everyone in jail. Lots of strikers and National Guards were accused of murder, but when they went to court, none of the miners were convicted, and only one National Guard was found guilty, though he basically got a slap on the wrist. 
don't murder any more children now and yeah. run along. <laughs> Only 11? Well. Yeah. In the end, the union ran out of money and the miners hung their heads and went back to work. Uh-huh. None of their demands were met, though the Rockefeller family said that they would think about improving conditions. God. <laughs> I mean, just imagine how desperate you have to be to go on strike when there's armored trucks with machine guns patrolling your camp and you have 11 children. Yeah. And then and then you're like, man, I guess I'll just go back to work yeah. for those guys. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, on Monday you get up and you go back to your job. Right. Sorry, Sprint, boss. Please. But without the kids. So, yeah. you know, your living expenses are lower now. <laughs> I'm rich, probably. My tax breaks. <laughs> this is our final story here. So in nineteen twenties in West Virginia, there were large coal companies in the area that just ran the show. Miners lived in houses owned by the company, shopped in stores run by the company, and were leased tools by the company. So they couldn't buy their own tools. They had to rent them from the the company. So days were too long and way too dangerous, but the coal companies were making bank. They didn't want to lose money over silly things like reasonable work days or safety measures. And having seen what unions could do in the past, they were super anti-union. When workers were hired, there was a part of their contract that said they could not join a union. That's illegal. Yeah. (laughs) Now it is. (laughs) Still, conditions were so bad that a union started to sound real nice. The good old Baldwin felt detectives were called in. They went around and evicted families who were suspected of trying to join a union. They were getting kind of rough, though, so the mayor and some sheriffs went down to be like, hey, you can't kick people out of their houses just because you think they might be up to something. Things got heated and shots were fired. Between the... Okay. (laughs) The mayor, the sheriff, and the Baldwin Felts. Yep. So seven detectives were killed along with the mayor and two miners. You killed the mayor? (laughs) Yep, they killed the mayor. So the miners finally decided that they'd had enough and they went on strike. They said, you killed our mayor. (laughs) We elected him. (laughs) This is a duly elected mayor. (laughs) That was our only one. At this point, it was kind of ugly. Baldwin felt detectives were killing people. Miners were shooting scabs. The sheriff who stood up to the detectives in the first place was assassinated as he entered a courthouse, and that was the last straw. Holy crap. Yeah. So what's the difference between just murdering somebody and assassinating somebody? Um, Yeah, Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. So... All the local miners and thousands of other miners and supporters flooded the town, many of them heavily armed. In response, many people were deputized by the police who were in the pocket of the mines. And 3,000 men erected a machine gun nest on a mountain called Blair Mountain between the town and the mining company. What the fuck? Come on, guys. (laughs) 10,000 union supporters stormed the mountain. To distinguish themselves, the Union supporters tied red handkerchiefs around their necks so they became the uh, Redneck Army. Ah, <laughs> oops. <laughs> For days, the miners stormed the mountain with rifles and one Gatling gun that they found. <laughs> Just found it. Yeah, only to be pushed back by the machine gun nests. The corrupt sheriff named Chaffin, who ran the crooked cops, somehow managed to call in air support, and three biplanes dropped tear gas and bombs filled with nuts and bolts on the redneck army. Jesus. I, I 
Now, what? let's <laughs> pause for just a moment to remember that this wasn't a fight over wanting higher wages or safer conditions. All this shit started because the mining companies were worried the miners might ask for higher wages or safer conditions. Um, yeah, we want safer conditions. Like, they're not being a machine gun nest up here. <laughs> you know, West Virginia, thank you for the McElroy's. The rest of the shit you've given us... <laughs> We would like to not be killed for the possibility that we might have thought that we are underpaid. <laughs> Eventually, President Warren G. Harding sent in the actual army to put a stop to this ridiculous war. Y'all settle down now. No one really knows how many people died, but it could be as low as 20 or as high as several hundred. As in previous disputes, lots of people went on trial, but no one ever really faced any charges. Oh, good. The union that had been supporting the miners was all but bankrupt from funding a war, so they had to pull out. So in the end, the remaining unionless miners just went back to work. This was the largest engagement of the American army since the Civil War. Jeez. Good. <laughs> and uh, that was the last of the stories that I had. So we're, okay. here to, we're here to break up a strike or something? How bad could it be? <laughs> Planes and bombs and gunfire everywhere? Assassinations. <laughs> so I would like to preface my story by I was 16 mm -hmm. and so was young. not told that this was like a scab thing. <laughs> I see. I would As like to preface your story by apologizing for appearing to call you an asshole. <laughs> you better watch it. Kelly's going to swear at you again. Um, so I was a cashier at Albertsons, which is out of business now, so we can just name them. Sure. Uh, and one of my supervisors approached me and said, hey, do you want to make $35 an hour working in Sacramento over the weekend? And we will drive you there. Where do, do I, I sign? I said, fuck yeah. <laughs> of course you did. You were 16. We and they were angry, striking cashiers in Sacramento. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm used to. We're uh, crossing the picket line, aren't we? I was not given the whole story. <laughs> but I'm here. And I did make like 500 bucks. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you can only get so mad at scabs. Because yeah. they they're trying to get paid too. Yeah, I'm not doing it maliciously. Usually not. Usually, <laughs> like I I didn't I like I was walked into that. I was like, oh crap. Yeah, I've seen newsies. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I just, <laughs> and I, I've been part of a, new, a union since, and the janitors' union. Yeah, and we got good insurance, and we were good. Yeah, I was almost part of a union when I worked at movie theaters. When I started, there was a um, projectionist union. But it was dissolving right as I learned to be a projectionist, so I never, I never joined it. Oh, when you started, was that was that in Reno? No, that was in Arizona. Um, I was gonna say that all the projectionists I knew in Reno were high twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah. Did good work though. The union fought for that right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never, never been in a union job, but I have had multiple jobs where the onboarding material included anti-union propaganda. Yeah, I do kind of remember that from some jobs. Uh, I know they had it at Target. Um, they still do. They don't have it at Goodwill. But I had, I think they might have had it at Taco Bell. Just like all the reasons a union's going to p take your paycheck and give you nothing back. <laughs> but it's only one percent. Come on. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I read a lot about a lot of different strikes and a lot of different unions. Um, and I read about them, you know, all over the world, not just the ones in the U.S. It's just these are the stories that I picked. But I was trying really hard to be 
objective and be like, there's got to be one of these where the workers were just like, man, screw you guys. We need more awesome stuff. But like, I want to get paid a thousand dollars every day. I never found one story where the strikers were like baseless, you know, like sometimes I'd be like, well, you know, that's maybe reaching a little far, but I, but I can be like, I, I could see where they're coming from. I mean, the closest mm-hmm. you get is like things like the police union protecting corrupt cl- cops, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but that's not really a strike, strike. issue. Yeah. yeah. But that's just a different in, episode. As far as <laughs> yeah. unions being having a dark side. Yeah. I mean, the the closest one, which was just horrible, was in the 1980s. I want to say, and it was the air traffic controllers union which technically they were government employees and government employees aren't allowed to strike. Like they're on a union, but they can't strike. Is anyone allowed to strike? Yeah. 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 If you're, you're allowed to strike, but if you work for the government, you're not, um, but you have Basically, to be in the, the allowance of striking means that you can strike without being fired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, but you have to be part of a union to strike. You can't just be like, man, that's to working. Um, but <laughs> hey, nuts, but yeah, the, the air traffic controllers union, they basically were saying like, hey, you know what? Pilots land one plane, but we land hundreds of planes. Shouldn't we be paid the same as pilots? Because our mm-hmm. job is more stressful and dangerous because they only have to do it once. So we have to do it like 100 times a day. I can see I can, their point yeah. of view. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I could see that being a, a point to argue, you know, to sit down and have a talk about it uh, and maybe find a middle ground. But the government said No. Just go back to work. And so they decided to strike and they thought, you know, like, ah, they're going to cave. You know, what are they going to do? They need to fly planes. But then the government just basically like hired a bunch of yokels overnight and like trained them over a weekend to be air traffic controllers. That's Um, nerve wracking. It it is very nerve wracking. And then on Monday morning, the new worker started and the planes flew and everything went okay. So a bunch of the, People that were on strike just were like, well, I guess we'll just go back to work. But a bunch of others were like, now we're going to stick it out. But it just never got resolved. So they just never got their jobs back. Yeah. Um, and it really sucked because at the time, that was while Ronald Reagan was president. Oh, and when, when he was running... He was like, man, I'm all about unions. Unions are awesome. This is so great to have unions. And then he was Not president. That. And then this happened. And Ronald Reagan went on the news and was and basically said, all of you union workers are breaking the law and you need to get back to work or you will be arrested. Like he um, did not support them in the least. And then the strikers didn't get what they wanted. And it basically created a unofficial handbook of how to break strikes. Like mm. the, the things that happened in there allowed other companies and industries to effectively circumnavigate strikes without yielding to demands for decades after that. And unions are getting weaker and weaker. Mm-hmm. Sean, you're going on record or saying Ron Reagan bad. <laughs> well, <laughs> Ronald Reagan, at least uh, uh, a liar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if nobody has any more personal stories, we'll move on to what are your morals worth? You're going to make me shoot I can't children? Uh, so, <laughs> how much to be a scab for the duration of a strike? What? $35 an hour? <laughs> <laughs> he has a price already. Yeah, let's say hourly. 
What's the situation? Um, I, I I don't know. It would change. I could make up a long okay. scenario, but I let's say mean, that there's... Are people being shot in the field next to a mine? Probably, yeah. <laughs> are there airstrikes well, if, going if on? If we're doing that, then I have to raise my prices. <laughs> As an unknowing scab, like, once I got there, I'd be like, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, $36 an hour. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's say there's workers and they're asking for something perfectly reasonable and... They're getting oppressed badly. I don't know, if man. They're getting that's badly tough. oppressed, then I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. That's a big ask because, I mean, you know, we must all hang together or we will most certainly hang apart. Yeah. As this country learns again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> You're rich. But I mean, like, if I need a job, yep. like, that's going to be a really tough thing to pass up on. Mm-hmm. You don't. Well, not right now. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying you don't ever. Ever again? I'll hire you. <laughs> What's the catch? Turns out Andy is the rich. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like I'm like the ninety nine point nine percentile. Um, hourly? Oh, like fifty dollars an hour sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. Is that how much my my are? unionized nephew makes sixty some odd dollars an hour to being electrician at him? So oh wow, yeah. So let's let's see. So if you're doing fifty dollars an hour at 40 hours a week that's two thousand dollars a week and how long did you say we're doing this uh guess it doesn't matter yeah i mean let's say three to six months until the rebellion is quelled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> until they shoot enough strikers for them to get back to work I don't wanna yeah, no, if, they're, if, they're, if, if it's true oppression <laughs> which i don't doubt that i was part of Oh, God, I feel bad now. <laughs> and, but then if they all come back to work, then I'm going to lose my scab job. It's true. I think we need to form a scab union to keep our... <laughs> what if you were so good at your scab job that, like, they're just like, oh, man, he was the best cashier. Yeah, but you're not going to get paid your scab wages anymore. It's true. Demand them. So Demand you, them or you're going, yeah, strike! So we need a scab union. <laughs> $500 an hour. $500 an hour. Ooh. So that'd be $20,000 a week. I'm trying to make it as unreasonable as possible. Yeah. I don't want to do it. As a teenager, that was good money for a weekend, but... Yeah. I I just cannot imagine uh, knowingly taking advantage of someone else's suffering in that way. I agree with Kelly. So, still 35 then? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll do the... Was it 500? Yeah. I don't think I need to go that high, but... I don't think a hundred's enough, so I'll do two hundred, which I think would be eight thousand I mean, a week. Based on what you said, your nephew was getting paid. I was going to change mine to a hundred. Yeah, that's, ele- that's electrician wages. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, we're probably working in a mine or something. So that's going to require a lot <laughs> of money. Was, I, I would hope that that would be higher than electrician wages. Like that's a big risk. Yeah, for electricians. No, for miners. Oh. I don't know how much miners get paid. Not enough, probably. Bring the coal mines back. Bring the coal mines back. (laughs) Hey, get out of here. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for this week. Thanks to my co-host for joining us. Thanks to our unionized editor, Gerard. We really should start paying him. (laughs) Hey, speaking of, if you'd like to throw us a buck or so a month on Patreon, we'd sure appreciate it. And you can get access to early episodes or our private Discord or uh, the ability to vote on what episode is coming up next. But if you'd like to contact us the old-fashioned way, you can reach us at acidpoppodcast at gmail.com or on our Reddit forum. And if you'd like to follow us, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Acid Pop Podcast. 
Thanks for joining us. And remember, anti-unions for life. (laughs) Bye.